Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have at this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Riaz Kanani, founder and CEO of Radiate B2B. It became really clear when talking to those companies that we've become in the B2B or business marketing space very reliant on content and events to drive lead acquisition, nurturing, email marketing obviously as well. Basically, we're all reliant on exactly the same things. B2B marketing had become homogenous and the only way to stand out was really to be doing better at creative and, and it, I think that's a marketer's worst nightmare. I felt that there had to be a better way. The more I looked at it, the more I realized that if you were building a marketing automation company today, you wouldn't build a platform that looked anything like the marketing automation platforms that exist today. This is Riaz. He's a mix of marketer, technologist, and entrepreneur who has worked with cutting-edge technology throughout his career. Whether it be the nascent Flash and Java video space in the early 2000s, to combining email, mobile, and social media marketing technologies in 2008. Throughout it all, he has used data as the backbone behind these technologies to better understand how people behave and use these new approaches. In that journey, he founded six companies and worked with IBM, Lyris, Alchemy Works, and Profusion. He's also a mentor at Techstars. Today, he's helping to build a better way to do B2B marketing that increases both average contract values and the speed of closing contracts. And this resonated with me, and hence I invited Rias to my podcast. We explore what's broken in marketing automation and why the answer is in choosing a different approach, not more tools. We also discuss what it takes to succeed in B2B software and what decisions and mindsets are fundamental to stand out. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that there is no nice handbook that tells you exactly what's going to happen to your software business. So to succeed, it's your duty to hire people that can think on their feet. Secondly, why marketing will become exponentially better if you start thinking about the world as being a list of companies that you build relationships with. Thirdly, 
how defensible differentiation can be created by blending a strong product with an irresistible business model. And fourthly, that your decision how to position yourself in a particular space can create a significant problem around your messaging. Well, hi Riaz, thank you for making the time today on your busy schedule to be part of my podcast. Thank you, no, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, that was a pleasure. Yeah, we started through uh, Lunch Club, if yeah. I recall well. Um, yeah, that's right. That I can recommend to everybody listening. Interesting how, how these connections are being made these days in time of pandemic. We had a very interesting conversation and that led actually well, to inviting you to the podcast when I learned more about your company, Radiant B2B. Not sure whether you've listened to the podcast before, but uh, I typically start with one particular question <laughs> just to get a little bit of an idea about what person you are. If you would have to describe yourself in two or three words, what words would you choose? Yeah, I have. And I spent a little bit of time thinking about it. It's it an interesting one. I think the first word that I will always describe myself as is curious. It's something that I look for in the people we hire into Radiate and even in previous companies. So that, that would be the first. Second probably would be passionate. And third... Third, I started to struggle a little bit. I guess I end up with ambitious, but it's not quite the right word. There's certainly a, a drive behind what I do. And, and, and so it's that sort of word, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. About the word curious, which is one that, that triggers me. Like, Why do you believe that word, well, the characteristics of curiosity is such an important thing, not only for yourself, but also for your team? So I think I came to the word probably only eight or ten years ago, I guess. It's quite a long time, I guess. But I've always experimented, tested, played with different ideas. And I always looked for that sort of characteristic without actually knowing the word. And what I realised over time, when you hire people and you, you scale to I mean, I don't think you disagree in that, you know, no matter how big the company the company's success is entirely reliant on its people. And if you are going to put people on the coalface and, you know, executing and delivering, then you want those people to be able to think on their feet. But also, because I typically work at the edge of technology where, you know, there isn't a nice handbook that tells you exactly what's going to happen, you want people to be able to think on their feet, to experiment, to, to be curious about the world and, and the things around what you're doing so that you don't just go, you know, you don't have tunnel vision and just go straight into something and suddenly something happens. So you've got to be able to have a more rounded view on the world is my way of thinking about it. That makes sense. Well, I mean, people that have read my book, yeah, will recognize this. Chapter number four. It's the trade number four of, of a remarkable software business. They master the art of curiosity. And okay. it's exactly for the words that you're using here. Because the moment you lose that curiosity, you get complacent. And that is like downward spiral. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. Very good. Very good. Well, talking about your business, and what I've learned is also that you, this is startup number six <laughs> in a period of over 25 years. We just figured yeah. out. So that's, that's interesting. I'll, I'll likely have a couple of points on the like, previous key learnings. But Radiant B2B, when you started that in 2017, with what idea did you start it? What is the problem that you saw that was screaming for a solution like Radiant? It's funny because I always, I always have ideas. Like at any one moment in time, I've probably got 
six to ten ideas of things that I would love to work on. And for a bunch of years, marketing, marketing technology was not one of them, which is a surprise given my background, I suppose. But I, I'd spent a year playing with different projects in different spheres and doing marketing work, consulting work to pay the bills, in effect. And it became really clear when talking to those companies that we've become in the B2B or business marketing space very reliant on content and events to drive lead acquisition, nurturing, email marketing, obviously, as well. Basically, we're all reliant on exactly the same things. B2B marketing had become homogenous, and the only way to stand out was really to be doing better at creative. And, and it, I think that's a marketer's worst nightmare. I mean, every marketer will always strive to deliver the best creative. But if at the beginning of every new financial year with targets to reach, you are reliant on how well your creativity is, you're in trouble because, you know, the best creative can just fall flat on its face. You just don't know until it hits the market. And so we looked at it, I was looking at it, I was thinking about the acquisition cost that I had back in the day and, and looking at what the acquisition costs were today for similar types of companies. And, and they'd more than doubled, in fact, they'd almost tripled. And there was no sign of that abating. And so I felt that there had to be a better way. So that was the sort of starting point. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized that if you were building a marketing automation company today, you wouldn't build a platform that looked anything like the marketing automation platforms that exist today. Let me make a small interruption here. Riaz just made a critical remark that helped him to create defensible differentiation behind this company. Instead of thinking about how he could make today's category of marketing automation incrementally better, he realized that he had to approach the problem differently and use his advantage of new insights to arrive at something exponentially better. He illustrated a core trait that remarkable software companies master. They aim to be different, not just better. And with that, create something valuable and desirable. Now you can master this trait as well. To start, I'd recommend you to consider two things. Firstly, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, join our tribe and surround yourself by other tech entrepreneurs on a mission, like Riaz, to explore new paths, remove your blind spots, and sharpen your thinking. And to understand how, Simply visit valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. And that really, that really got me thinking, you know, there's a real, there's really something here. And the reason for that is, is we found were twofold. One was the amount of business data that's available today just wasn't available. You know, true. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when, when the, these companies were first envisioned. And the second thing is the way people behave online today is really different to 10 years ago, even five years ago. I mean, the idea behind marketing automation is that people will research before they buy online. And that's very true. But today, they will research and research and they'll do it anonymously for a long time before they'll, they'll raise their hand and tell a vendor that they, they're here. And so... For vendors, for people selling, you need to find ways to predict or identify that behavior before now, before they raise their hand. And that's what we 
sought to to solve. Okay. Well, we're going to have to go into that. How do you exactly do that? That's, yeah. uh, the, the predict part, but that sounds interesting. And I, I agree with you. You know, it's marketing has specifically with the whole hype around the internet. We just we, just before we started, we we talked about how the internet really started back in the nineties. Yeah. And yeah, of course, since then it has just exploded. And I, I agree with you. It's just more sending more, and it's the race for more creativity. The costs always go up. And uh, the conversion is actually going down. So that, that yes. makes it even worse. So I completely agree with you that if you would start again, if you would take the luxury to start again, you would design something different based on what is available today and what's there. So kind of my second interest is always like, what is the opportunity if we get this right? So the moment like the world starts to kind of move from all the old marketing solutions to Radiant B2B, <laughs> what difference will we see? For me, the opportunity is a better buying experience. We talk a lot, not just in marketing, but but beyond marketing, about putting the customer at the center of everything you do. And it's really easy in marketing to forget that and to think about segments and markets because the messaging that is created is is designed usually to attract a large swathe of the market and it's by definition, therefore, generic. Um, And so... That, for me, is the opportunity. It's a better buying experience. And, and if it's a better buying experience, that means everything becomes smoother. There's less friction in the sales process. And hopefully that means better, longer, less churn, I guess, is the work phrase I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, at the end, more business, less churn. Exactly. Well, I mean, but the whole thing around better buying experience is, is also like a big word these days. And you see a lot of vendors using, a, using those type of words. So what do you do different from an approach perspective to create a better buying experience? You know, I built my career off the back of using data. And three years ago, if you told me that I'd build an advertising module to my platform first, I would have laughed at you because, because I would have thought I would have built a behavioral data platform that orchestrates marketing campaigns and, and you know, creates all this personalized content. And whilst everybody wants that, what they really struggle with right now is an ability to proactively get in front of companies in a less aggressive way. So, you know, not quite as aggressive as cold email or cold calling or even sending social media messages and the like. Advertising is, is quite is several steps away from that and allows you to build a relationship without creating an interruption. And so when we built that, one of the things we built within that is obviously this ability to identify companies and reach them individually. And so you're forced as a marketer to come up with this list of your ideal companies. It's not, you don't end up with, you don't start with, well, I want all retailers that are this size of revenue and this many employees. You actually start to think about, well, okay, Yes, it's those companies, but now I want to understand what are the different aspects of those companies that makes them different and a better fit for us. And you start to think about, you know, what are the advertising messages you're putting in? Because, you know, in our platform, you you can get down to the individual company and you can send a completely different message to one company versus the other. And what's really interesting about that is the minute you start to think about the world as being this list of companies... And that's my market. And what's going to happen to the relationship with those companies when I do X, Y, and Z? Suddenly, you think differently. You don't think about sending 
a mass email to that entire list of people who are who's nebulous to you on the off chance that you know 10% of them are going to convert but i'm going to burn 30% of them well, now you burn 30% of them you can see visibly inside the platform which 30% are no longer reachable because yeah you've burned and so suddenly you end up thinking about your world in a very different way and it starts to it isn't us going and throwing messages at you every five seconds inside the platform going, think about the customer think about the customer don't forget the customer it it becomes innate it just happens uh-huh. because of the techniques that you end up using within the platform so you've actually created sort of a workflow in order to challenge and to maybe to mirror what you're doing here yeah the end output is a list of companies and it tells you today how likely they are to buy from you today and so it's a godsend from a sales perspective right so so business development on the sales side they use that as a way to prioritize who they should pick up the phone to next and that's the end result and, and over time you end up measuring you know you almost changes the way you measure your success as a marketer if that you know. i mean from a perspective already that you start with the likelihood of buying is already something that is in the marketing space already kind of an odd thing because normally it's like a, you measure measuring marketing qualified leads yeah it doesn't sales qualified leads no um, no exactly they downloaded your white paper doesn't mean they are any more likely to buy or or to to buy now or in the future no it's not it's not a linear process this the idea it, it is it is and i like the, the fact that you're talking about the real the definition of what makes your ideal customer which goes far beyond the traditional demographics segmentation typically also in taking into account yeah but the, yeah the, the people behind them yeah. like how they think what they care about maybe there's even events that you let you that you monitor in terms of what's happening in those companies that drives a certain behavior yeah interesting and I realize I'm saying that word sometimes too often, but uh, it is interesting. <laughs> it's a word. But, I mean, I like I like those new approaches in terms of yeah, what what is possible with technology and and how the reason why I started this podcast is indeed to 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 have those stories about what can happen when technology and people blend in the right way. Yeah. To create impact, they've never been able to do before, because doing this almost like like personalized approach is not scalable. But with a platform like yours, likely it becomes much more scalable than possible. So talking about your, the platform that you built, one of the things I'm always interested in is to get an understanding about yeah, what you've done to create defensible differentiation for your platform. And possibly not even differentiation for yourself, but more like yeah, what do you, yeah, we, we talked about it, about it already, but how you help your customers to create that difference. Is there any function or is, it, is there any aspect of design that, that was really important in that early phase? Yeah, for us, it was always about making sure the tools were scalably personalized, I guess. So it's really easy to load up a list of a thousand companies and send out an advertising campaign. But what if you can make it really easy for our clients to personalize and deliver messaging that was more relevant without dramatically transforming the cost to a point where it wasn't viable? And so it wasn't just, for us, it wasn't just about the platform. It was also about our business model. The way we price is is different. Really, it allows you know it allows companies to be targeting a small handful of companies rather than forcing you to target thousands. And of course, it can target thousands. But there was multiple ways for us, and 
I'm not a huge fan of Apple from a, a business sense, but from a product sense, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And, you know, we try and build products that are, that remove the complexity that's going on behind the scenes and, and makes it straightforward for marketers to get what they need to do done quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's always like, it doesn't have to be, the fact that it's complex, what you're doing doesn't mean it has to be complex in terms of how it's presented to, to people. Exactly. But what, what interests me is in this case that you try to create a combination of both product differentiation, but also then blend in the business model. Yeah. I, I, I mean, what is your business model about? Is it outcome driven? It's not. It's interesting you use that phrase because given a large part of what we do is advertising and a lot of the advertising world focus on acquisition as a performance metric. For me, I've never been a fan of a cost per acquisition. I think it's a poor metric because advertising, by definition, it's hands-off. It's placing your message in front of somebody from afar that will inform but not force them to take action. And especially in the B2B case where, you know, that action could take three months, six months, 12 months to actually get to a point means that charging by acquisition is actually misaligning KPIs, I think is the way to put it. It's the inverse of us charging by putting a percentage on media spend, which is another thing I don't really like because it, it means that I'm incentivized as a business to charge my clients as much media spend as possible. Whereas my clients want me to spend as little media spend as yeah, possible. Yeah, exactly. Effective media spend. Yeah, exactly. And so, so we don't. We don't put any percentage on media spend at all. We pass the cost straight through. And we, we follow a SaaS subscription model that allows you to you know, make use of the tools and, and value that we provide. But then it's... You know, we, we make sure our algorithms and, and, and the platform makes the media spend as efficient as possible, but still delivering, obviously, on the results that our clients want, which is usually twofold. One is it could be brand awareness, right? It could be yeah. I want the market to be aware of my company or my product. But second, also, we know that when we place advertising in front of companies, there's, there's a weird thing about advertising. When you don't care about it, you consume it subconsciously. But when you're thinking about it, it's there. And so one of the things we know is that when companies are thinking about the messaging that you're putting in front of them, they are three times more likely to appear on your website as a result of the advertising. But of course, yeah. So, and they'll turn up earlier. We think it's as much as four weeks earlier on average. We've now done enough. We've been running campaigns for a couple of years now. We've done enough to get, a better picture on, on what the difference is okay so these are the things that you that you keep monitoring on and, and that's how you are also optimize yeah. your, your, your algorithms i'm a data guy at heart so, so uh-huh. i have to be careful not to to spend my life going through data and looking for interesting tidbits but we measure everything we do and well i mean that drives me to another question that i always like asking in this case so in that whole process of of starting having the vision going for that, delivering the product. Were there any surprising byproducts that you got from all that work? That wasn't yeah, ma- you know what? Massively so. In fact, I'd almost argue that I have less time today, but I used to spend a lot of time mentoring startups. And one of the things that I always say to them is, the startup that you end up building will be very different to the one you think you're going to build. 
and that's absolutely been the case with us as well. I mean, you know, for me, the advertising part was a route for us to start building the broader platform. And as we built that, I never predicted that we would be able to identify the companies that would be in the buying phase as early as we do. You know, for me, the advertising way was a way of proactively reaching companies. It wasn't a way to, you know, the phase in the market today is identify intent. But that's what's happened. And, and so as a result, the second half of our platform is all about, you know, measuring intent and figuring out who you should speak to next. So what's interesting, by the way, that's, maybe it just lands here, is that the traditional marketing platforms, they have campaigns, then you just shoot at a universe of unknowns. Yes. Does the platform that you have start with, okay, based on what, what you've just put in, this is the list of customers that would fit that. So you start with the market and, and you approach it, you approach it then yeah, based on almost like a name? Yeah, you literally start with a company name and a domain name. And, you know, typically you'll be, you'll be having a list of, of 50, 100, 500 companies. Yeah. And you start there and, and it, you know, you don't, it's not static. You know, the list changes continuously, you know, over time. As, as, as a salesperson picks up the phone to a company and learns they're not in market for two more years, well, you've got a decision to make now. Do you advertise to them at a lower level for two years? Exactly, yeah. Do you stop? What do you do? And so... There's that continuous iteration, and that's another thing we try and make easy to happen so that it's not you're not just setting up generic advertising campaigns that don't no. really connect. Yeah, always have a face in front of you, or at least a logo in front of you, exactly. Yeah. So when you came to market, I mean, you started 2017. When was the product released? We basically started in 2017 as an agency. Ah. It's often, it's how I've previously started companies. It's a, it's a good way to get close to the market, deliver what you think is valuable manually, and then pivot to be a technology business. So the majority of what you today is technology. And so really mid-2018, end of, end of 2018, that's really when the platform properly launched. We were, we were testing, we had campaigns in market over 2018. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I literally wrote down a quote from one of my earlier podcast guests that I did a couple of weeks ago, and he said something similar around you. And, like, and the, the proof of that, that they were on some, onto something big was that at some point their consultants came to them and said, I think it's time to, for us to be fired because now <laughs> the software is doing everything that we were supposed to do. Yeah. And I mean, that's an interesting one that you're saying that. It's yeah, really kind of getting that grip on the market, testing things out manually, and then time by time, tuning and tuning it in order to come up with something that works, scalable, and moves the consultancy part out of the way. Yeah. As long as you have that in mind, I think that's a very good model to start working. I was on a call earlier today with an author from the UK, and he said, yeah, that he found this, the, the title for his new book, and it was, it was literally, don't start with coding. <laughs> so it's, yeah. that, that plays to that. Yeah. And too often we start with coding and then we end up with all kinds of features and features and we end up with a product that is yeah, a solution looking for a problem. Yeah, that's right. The most important thing is, I think, in a startup is learning how to say no. Exactly, yeah. There's always so much to do in a startup. Where everything needs work. Your sales processes are never as finely tuned as a you know, mature business. Same with marketing, same with product, same with customer success. Everything needs work. And so knowing, you know, 
how to prioritize and, and where to say no to and, yeah. and where to focus is really important. I completely agree with that. And I mean, too often it's like, yes, but I mean, I wrote a blog about it last week about the experience from my holiday and learned mm-hmm. to, well, I reflected on that whole topic at the end and listened to a podcast where I heard again, and I forgot about it, that term like, it's not yes, but it needs to be a hell yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And otherwise it's a no. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because there's never, you never have enough capacity to be able to do everything you want to do. Exactly. And you're talking about reflecting. Um, taking the time to reflect allows you to process and digest all the things that are going on and, and be able to make better decisions true. afterwards. So. That's true, yeah. So what are, for example, I mean, I sometimes ask the question about Steve Jobs that where he said innovation is not about what you what you do, but typically what you don't do. But I mean, I'm interested to see what your, what would be decisions where it's like a hell yes, rather than, and otherwise it's a no. When would it be a hell yes? Well, I mean, there's the obvious one, I think, where you've got multiple clients requesting a capability. That's the obvious one, right? That's straightforward. Yeah. That's a hell yes. I'm not sure there's, is there anything else that's a hell yes. I mean, there's certain points in time where it becomes obvious, right? So, so when you're really early stage, I think, I think that's probably the only time. But as you scale and you start to grow the team, when you are basically trying to scale your, I guess, your unit costs or where you're trying to scale support, for example, you know, in the early days, there's no need to have a big support management system in place. It's a nice to have. But there's going to come a moment where you know when you do something, like you put out a new product release with new functionality, that's going to generate a stream of support requests and questions that you just haven't thought of. Are you able to deal and manage with that result? Exactly. And and that might create a hell yes scenario. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's like the things that really have have to move out of the way. Otherwise, things will blow up. One of my old CEOs once said to me that, one of the most important things you can do when you scale a business is to put in place the infrastructure just before you need it. If you put it in place too far before you need it, you will create so much dissatisfaction in the company that you won't perform. But if you put it in place in just the right time, you will still get a little bit of dissatisfaction, but you'll quickly realize you need it to survive. True. Yeah, then the need to change is much more of a thing. Yeah. Well, what I was interested in is the moment you bring it to market, what was the biggest learning experience selling this? And what were potential, well, what were the, the biggest obstacles you had to overcome in order to do so? In some ways, this was one of the hardest things. When I set this up, I thought that a large chunk of where we were going to position ourselves, we were going to position ourselves, we decided within something called the account based marketing space and you know when i looked at it it felt like that market was already growing exponentially and you know there wasn't much of an educational sell i think you know in 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 startups if you have to do an educational sell it can add so much time to your sales process that can kill the business and so and i'm all for reducing risk wherever possible so so we thought that would be a good way to position ourselves in the market gain traction and not have to spend a lot of time educating. What we realized very quickly was in the UK and in Europe especially, it was still very, very early. And we were spending 
an awful lot of time having to teach what account-based marketing was before we could even get to the value that our platform provided. When in reality, you didn't need account-based marketing to get value from our platform. So because we'd made the decision to position ourselves in that space, it created an entire problem around our messaging. And so, you know, it took us some time, but eventually, whilst we still call ourselves an account-based advertising platform, a lot of our messaging doesn't involve the wider account-based marketing conversation. Pivot it to in order to avoid that, that education route. We actually now are really quite blunt and quite straight down the line on it. We talk about, well, you know, how valuable would it be if you were able to place an advert in front of the right people at a company and know whether they reacted to it and find me a salesperson or marketer who wouldn't say yes to that. It's, it, it's, you know what, what the magic there is? It's like, it's super concrete. Yeah. It resonates with a problem that people have, have every day. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that you just started with, would it be, wouldn't it be great or imagine that or what if it creates the tension about what can be fantastic. That's how we now talk about things. Of course, my website is not quite as good as it should be on that messaging. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean, we always try to come up with the fancy things and so on and the jargon. And no one, no one in the customer, our customer base has invented that thing around account-based marketing. It's something that actually comes from the analyst community because it's a category in itself. Yeah. But it doesn't solve yeah, the problem. Yeah. So, no, not in itself. The techniques... Exactly. So what have you been most proud of achieving so far with the platform? And what is an anecdote, for example, that you keep talking about from your customers? What am I most proud of? The results, to be honest. I think that's the, you know, if I think back and think of the campaigns, I remember the first campaign we ever did, we spent days trying to pull this together. And something that takes 15 minutes today took a week, three years ago. And you know, we now know, we've now got enough data to know that, you know, we'll drive 3x, 3x uplift in companies coming to your website. We, you know, the results that you get from delivering these campaigns are, are the things that I'm most proud of because we've removed so much complexity from the process of achieving those results that actually anyone can do it now. Whereas three years ago, it was an awful lot of work and an awful lot of effort. And I'm not sure anyone would willingly do what we did three years ago. So that's that's probably what I'm most proud of. Client, client anecdotes, I'm always happy when the client's happy, right? And so when we get clients who give us testimonials and, and say that, you know, we've really helped them or we've delivered in some way, that those are the anecdotes we, we, we've had and, and, and that's what, you know, we, we love to help and support. We, we view ourselves not the black box technology platform but you know a platform that is there to try and understand our clients and you know basically build their universe really that's interesting that you call it that like that that, because that's typically the spectrum that i normally had is targeting the universe and see who bites or see who's out there that that maybe would be interesting yeah you make the stars align so to say yeah interesting yeah okay let me see. I mean, I wrote my book about the remarkable effects and the 10 traits that define remarkable software businesses. So since that you are, this is your sixth startup, <laughs> what have you learned as a, well, what is a trait that you believe is, a, is one that is essential for a company to do remarkable things in the market? 
I think the ability to run into a brick wall over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say it, I say it glibly, but you know, it is that ability to basically pick yourself up over and over again because you're always dealing with a market, right? You know, you get you can have great ideas, but if there's no market there, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to be able to drive revenue to grow as a business. So, so you end up having to deal with a market. Now, the minute you deal with a market, you're going to have to deal with people, and people are unpredictable. And so, as a result, every you know, all the startups that I've done have had different challenges, different situations, but in all of them, something will happen that is great, but the very next day, something can happen that just floors you. And you just have to be able to pick yourself up and go, right, okay, now what do we do about it? And, you know, eventually the gap between those things happening increases and increases and increases. But in the early days, they can come at you in a, in a sequence. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So what is the secret at the end to keep that drive, that motivation and that passion going? This is the first startup I think my memory is escaping me a little bit to think about all the different startups, but I'm pretty sure this is the first startup that I've done on my own. And I wouldn't have said it historically, but as a result of that, I've been hugely reliant on advisors and mentors to give me some grounding to burst, burst my bubble and make sure I'm aware of what's going outside of my bubble type stuff. You know, and, and if I had co-founders, they would be, they would be equally, if not more important sort of thing so it all boils down to people in effect yeah yeah and that validation possibly about like where do i what really want to be and is this still still is that north star still valid yeah to go yeah. yeah very good so what is next for you where do you predict your company to be in 12 to 24 months time or are you aspire to to your company to be so we're in a nice point today in that we are we have the data you know no longer am i going out and talking about the idea of putting advertising in front of specific companies or identifying intent, right? I don't have to evangelize the idea and get people to believe in it. I can now do that and show the data, right? I can show the results. And, you know, we have the case studies, we have the quotes, we have the, the nominations yeah. for awards that we've had in the last couple of years, right? So, I started on your website, impressive. Yeah, thank you. I'm honestly, every time it happens, I'm surprised because... You know, for me, this is a journey that you measure in years. And so 12 months from now, you know, we're at the point where bringing on new customers, we're scaling. And so 12 months from now, you know, I want us to be brought on a lot more customers and, and the platforms obviously scaling with it and, you know, onwards and upwards, really. That's always, yeah. you know, 12 months to 24 months is too short a time to be transforming the entire way we do B2B marketing. But that's the vision, right? That's the I vision. Mean, you, but you're already, I think, pretty much on track in order to, to start doing that. So, I mean, we talked a lot about your company, but where, where can people go to find out and, and, and learn about it and how they can yeah, create that, that 3x impact that you were talking about? Radiateb2b.com. So radiate B and then the number two and then B.com is the website. And where can people go to, to connect with you? LinkedIn is always the best place to connect with me. I you know, read all the messages that come into my LinkedIn account. I'm on Twitter as well, but I'm, I'm not as active. So you'll find me there, but, but yeah, message me via LinkedIn. All right, that is clear. And as uh, people know how to do that. 
So, yeah, thank you very much, Rias. Fascinating conversation. I really like the stance that you've taken in terms of how to kind of transform what, what marketing automation is all about. Taking a, yeah, almost like an, an outside-in approach for that. Good to see if, what, what results you're making, and I, I would be proud of that as well. So good luck for the coming years, and yeah, well, let's do a podcast in two years' time to see where you really yeah. are again. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Thank you. Yeah, it's, been, it's, always, it's always good to talk on the topics that we've covered. I think they're important ones. Um. They are, they are. So thank you very much. And this ends my conversation with Riaz. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please share a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Riaz Kanani, founder and CEO of Radiate B2B. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.